Hello, you're listening to Talking About the Passion. I'm Thomas Irwin. This is a podcast where I interview different independent musicians and showcase their music. As for myself, I'm a singer-songwriter and producer who goes by Niagara Moon. You can look up more about my own music at niagaramoonmusic.com. For episode 51, we have Andy Salvanos. Andy is a composer, performer, and recording artist internationally recognized for his work with the Chapman Stick instrument. Andy was born in Sweden and worked as a session bass player in Los Angeles before permanently settling in Adelaide, Australia. With six original albums to his credit, his instrumental music showcases an accessible, lyrical, and often cinematic style that defies categorization. I'm going to play a song now from Andy's most recent album, Transform. This is a song called Transform. So how many different instruments do you play? Um, I, st- I started off as a child um, just fiddling around with a bunch of instruments. My, my grandmother was a, a piano teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, oddly enough, I never really learned how to play the piano properly. But I sort of took up a bunch of instruments. And then um, the one that stuck was, was bass. Was bass? Really, that, that's what I really enjoyed doing. So... Yeah, I did that for a long time. Um, always playing in bands, a few sessions, and um, just in 
towards the late 90s, I, I started buying a Chapman stick. And um, once I got hold of it, it's kind of gradually taken over my life. Hmm. <laughs> so I'd never heard of a Chapman stick before. So what are, yeah. what are those like? Uh, well, it's, it's actually made, made in California by a guy called Emmett Chapman. Huh. Um, he was, uh, uh, I think, a frustrated jazz guitarist in, in the late 60s, but he played with people like um, Tim Buckley, and he started uh, developing this prototype for an instrument with a bit more of an orchestral capability. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's in a way reinventing the guitar or bass guitar into something quite different, but it's, it's, it's still a guitar family and sort of a, a plank of wood that you mainly tap or, you know, use hammer-ons on to, to mm -hmm. create the sound. So it's, it sits somewhere between guitar and tuned percussion instruments, really. Hmm. So is it a, quite a large instrument? Not really. It's, it's sort of like a chunky bass or a, a, a wide bass neck. The profile is quite slim, but it's hmm. uh, a, a wide neck. But there's no body on it, so it, it kind of straps onto you. <laughs> it sounds quite complicated, but it really makes a lot of sense when you right, when you, you when it. you bring it. Yeah, yeah. So, what was it about the Chapman stick that totally took over your musical life? It's strange. I, I really got into it because it is a it's a bass instrument, and I was interested in, in using it as a, kind of an alternative to to coming up with different bass lines. Mm -hmm. um, it's tuned bass side instruments tuned like an upside down cello, so it it kind of you you naturally tend to gravitate towards different sounds and different um, different lines on the instrument. Um, when I actually got it, I took me in a completely different direction almost instantly, which was it kind of brought me back to being a kid again and mm. sitting by by the piano, my grandmother's piano, and just kind of tinkering, um, you know, just noodling, and it kind of brought back that. The, the real creative sense that I felt I'd been missing for for quite a long time. So I went from um, thinking, oh, this will be a cool instrument to use maybe when I'm doing band band stuff with other people um, to just kind of being a something I played. Uh, I started coming up with melodies and chord changes and, yeah, just my own ideas, really. So, so like a guitar, it's an instrument that you can kind of play on its own. You can compose whole entire songs just with that one instrument but yeah. it it also has more of a, a bass range as well yeah it's, it's really more um uh, you know functionally in some ways more more like a piano than a guitar um you tend to be doing different things with your hands at the same time oh yeah yeah because you're just hammering it's really a, a sort of a dedicated tapping instrument um, there are other ways to get sounds out of it, but that's kind of the main, the main focus of the instrument. So in in some ways, it's um, yeah, just more piano like. Up until this point, you were playing bass a lot. You were were you a ses session musician? Yeah, well, you probably tell my accent that I'm not I'm not actually Australian. <laughs> it's sort of half. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little faint. Um, I, I I I grew up in Sweden. I. I I started playing bass um, really in in my friend's punk band, <laughs> and then it's it gradually started moving into um, ska and reggae and different styles of music. And um, by the time I'd 
uh, hit my late teens, I was kind of just didn't know what to do with myself. And my my family history, my 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 mom's um, was actually born in the states, and I had a, a U.S. passport. So oh, so you had dual citizenship. Yeah, um, I went. I um, I went to a place called Musicians Institute in Hollywood to mm-hmm. sort of do a year of music there, and. Ended up staying in in the LA area for about seven or eight years, and um, in those days, uh, there was a lot of work on people's demo tapes, and mm-hmm. um, so I wouldn't say that I was in, in by any means at, near the top of the session pile in LA, which was hugely competitive and full of amazing musicians right. back I mean, then. The industry was huge at that point there. Yeah, yeah. it was. It was incredible. I mean, the, the, the sort of people you'd see playing in, in small venues even was just mind-blowing. But um, there was a lot of work around because um, people were putting out demos and, you know, they, they back in those days, no one was doing everything themselves like we are now. So Right, yeah. Home recording had not uh, become yeah. popular yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you wanted if you wanted a decent home studio, you had you probably had to spend about twenty grand back in those days, so and hire an engineer yeah. to run it all. <laughs> so yeah, it was. Um, I, I did did a lot of gigs uh, in LA and a lot of smaller sessions, and um, we also had this family connection to Australia. So in in the um, early mid nineties, we um came back here my, i had my grandparents here mm-hmm. and basically decided to relocate so it's quite a, a culture culture shock being a musician <laughs> i mean which was the bigger culture shock going from sweden to la or suddenly from la to to australia um, i would imagine those are both well in in some way you know in 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 some ways they're they're quite they're there's similar similarities they're they're not vastly different cultures really there's you know there's there's some social differences and uh also the weather you know sweden's a pretty cold place and (laughs) pretty dark southern california south australia pretty pretty hot (laughs) which i enjoy so no probably the biggest the biggest change for me was um sort of finding something to do with myself as a musician here so i started teaching a lot and um uh, joined a few ill-fated bands, uh, but I did make some really good contacts. And um, I, after a few years here, I, I met a few musicians that really um, kind of changed the way I, I perceived the music industry. I, I guess it was sort of the, the beginning of me thinking um, along the lines of being an independent musician. Mm-hmm. Um, I met a singer-songwriter um, who was... His background was sort of English, folky, blues, acoustic stuff, and it was very much the folk scene. And um, he had this really strong point of view that you know you never sign record deals and you never, you know, you right. never look for, you never chase the labels. You, you know, you put on, you put out your own albums and then you go out and gig. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. That was really my first exposure to, you know, we did things like folk festivals and sold our own CDs, and it 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 really took me completely away from this whole, um, you know, thing that was happening in LA. Is people were all everyone was chasing record deals, 
um, and you had to look a certain way and dress a certain yeah. way, and yeah. you know, every everything had to fit in very nicely in this, <laughs> um, you know, the, the concept in of the mold. What, yeah. what's sold. Yeah, um, and um, I met these guys who were just not remotely interested in that, and somehow were managing to make a living anyway. <laughs> wow. What a so, um, and this was um, this was in the the mid '90s, so um, a little ahead of their time, even I would say. <laughs> yeah, probably, or just uh, you know, a bit um, anti-authoritarian, maybe you know, like just didn't didn't want to deal with the big business side of things. So, yeah, when I when I actually um, started doing my own stuff, and um, which is professionally uh about 10 just over 10 years ago I, I had a bit of a break in between um sort of doing the band thing um i got out of music for about five or six years when i came back to it it was that that sort of mindset that i can find a way to do this on my own that's the, the really drove it yeah so kind of chart your own path with it absolutely yeah and so since then, coming back after that break, um, you've been focused most on uh, making original music, kind of instrumental ambient tracks with the Chapman stick. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, I, I I never really set out to write this particular style of music or play. You know, in, uh, it was it was never there was never like a concept to begin with. I just sort of started playing the stuff I liked hearing, and. Um, really really just enjoy um creating my own music i i had years of playing other people's music right right yeah uh, and it contributed to me really losing interest in uh, going out and playing music i think because um i really i just i've always really enjoyed that creative side of things so mm-hmm. yeah that that was really the focus i've, I've been very very pig-headed about doing my own thing um <laughs> I, you know, uh, to the point of uh, sort of turning down gigs. They want me to play a certain song or something. You know, just um, yeah. I just yeah. decided this is what I'm. This is what I do. If you like it, yeah, yeah. I'm here. <laughs> you set terms. Not a bad thing exactly. to do. So at this point, how many uh, Chapman Stick albums have you released? Um, I've done six since 2007. So. Um, I had um, one of them kind of started happening around 2006, and I really um, that was the first time I, I started working a lot with just being able to record myself. That first, the first album I did kind of grew out of um, mainly recording a track here and there at home and having fun with it. And um, by the time that album was finished, I was um, out and about, mostly busking. And it kind of became the thing that I used to um, sell <laughs> to yeah. make money. No, um, that's yeah, doing and, gigs, yeah, one way or another. And I, I was, uh, you know, I was initially sort of burning um, CDs at home and you know printing covers, and it got really to the point where I was spending more time doing that than playing music, mm. and. Uh, so I, I ended up um, about six months in. I, I realized that I would sell enough of them to be able to, you know, just get a, a thousand printed, and off I went and started recording the next album at that point. Wow. So, 
that must have been a, an exciting it turning worked, point. It worked out okay. Yeah. So you you say that uh, you play the music that just kind of naturally comes to you when you play with an instrument when you kind of explore. Is there's did you have some particular pull to ambient music besides that? Like uh, I know for a lot of people they they get into Brian Eno or something early on. It's probably my my biggest influence um, for for the stuff I'm doing would would be Mike Goldfield, hmm. which is not so much ambient, but um, like there's a lot of that English European folk music influence, but also mixed with more with with more modern concepts, and that that would be my initial influence. So so probably not people who listen to my stuff a lot. Um, like I, I've got a lot of CDs floating around in mm-hmm. in situations where you'd normally hear very new agey ambient stuff. Yeah, uh, like massage, clean, you know, right, massage right, set yeah. in places like that. And um, the, a lot of the feedback I get is that people like it because it's not just um, like drones and waterfall sounds and bird right. noises. You, you have serious <laughs> like, melodies going on. Yeah, like, the, like there's kind of a bit of movement in there. Yeah. Um, so I do enjoy a lot of ambient, like fairly ambient music. Um, but at the same time, my, my personal influences are probably more, it's probably more folky okay. and, and pop music as well. Like I, I think of a lot of the stuff I do as instrumental pop songs, really. Mm-hmm. They're just little, little tunes with melodies. <laughs> right, right. Since uh, in recent years, I, I have started listening a lot to people like, um, there's a German pianist, Nils Fromm. Mm-hmm. Um, who does a lot of um, solo piano stuff, but also plays around with delays and electronic uh, ideas with the piano. And, um, you know, I find his stuff really interesting. And that's something you kind of incorporate into your own work, too, from what I could tell. Like there's some sort of uh, digital sound manipulation process that can happen afterward. Yeah, there's, there's, there's really... Um, there's a combination. Like I, I, I enjoy doing the thing where I just play, just play the instrument and um, create the solo track that way. But I also like um, it's probably more for variety than anything else. Yeah. I, I, I like the, these kind of um, layered, um, atmospheric delay excursions. It's really fun to play with delay. Um, <laughs> Always. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I I don't. Um, I avoid live. I avoid looping quite. You know, I, I, it's something I don't do. Um, I've kind of avoided doing it live in right, particular. Right. Um, ma- mainly because I think I don't know. I, th- I find it's kind of restrictive. Like you, you're always yeah. Tied kind of, you to, lock into. You just have to um, be super faithful to that loop, and everything is kind of built off of that, and you can't really kind of stray into other sections as easily. I found. Yeah, some some people do very very good stuff, uh, like very interesting things with loops. But I find that you, it's really almost like you learn another instrument, and I yeah don't really want to go there. <laughs> right. When you perform, generally you uh, play for kind of long periods of time. Uh, I like cafes or events and that sort of thing. Or it really varies a lot. Uh, like um, I my gigs last year ranged from. Um, fifteen twenty minutes to uh, five hours. 
the one thing I don't do much of is perform in traditional music venues. Um, yeah. I'll sort of operate outside of, um, outside of the whole music scene. <laughs> right. The pubs, the nightclubs. Yeah, sort of uh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, back in 2007, like I said, I pretty much took um, a CD and went out in the streets and started playing my stuff because at the time it just seemed like the the ideal place to, you know, let's 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 try this and see if it see if it works. Um, and as a result of doing that, I started getting you know people started coming up and saying, you know, do you, do you play at weddings? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, or you know, I know, I know um, a guy who has a cafe. Would you come and play for a few hours? And it just kind of started rolling from that. And someone else recommended me for the uh, hospital program that we have, uh, an arts and health program. So it's a, a funded program where they have musicians go around and play on the wards in the hospital. So just started picking up a lot of different um, different sort of gigs and. Uh, in the last twelve months, I've done I've I've done a few uh, bigger folk festivals on the East Coast. Um, I've done a gig at the cemetery. Um, I've done uh, waffle shops. Uh, You've been everywhere. It sounds yeah. like cafes, hospitals, nursing homes, um, the women's and children's hospital. So, you know, it really. Um, Pretty much anything except just regular places where, where people would traditionally go and listen to music. Right, so, right. Yeah, it's yeah. great to have a setup that's so, I mean, besides just being portable, it's so flexible. It's the kind of music that can be just kind of enjoyed in the background, but it's also involved and kind of, it moves enough that you can really listen to it closely too. It's, it, it's an interesting it works, combination. It, yeah, it, it works well for me because um you know, especially if you're um, if you're booked to play somewhere like a shopping center. On the weekend, I played um, down at the local marina, and um, you know, you want you hope that people enjoy it. But with my stuff, even if they don't love it, it kind of you know they'll put up with it <laughs> <laughs> because it's not it's not uh, it's not obtrusive, I guess. Um, it's it's both an advantage and a disadvantage because some sometimes. You know, in, in music, uh, it's a good thing to stand out as mm -hmm. opposed to blend in. And um, I think I'm better at blending in. <laughs> well, instrumental music sometimes, unfortunately, that how it, that's how it ends up. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, I, I would say in Australia, generally, instrumental music is, is very much considered background music by the, by the general population. It's, um, you know, there's, there are probably other parts in the world where people more likely to go and listen to instrumental music as a, you know, in the concert format. Mm -hmm. um, we, you get that here. If you, if you do some of the, some of the festivals I do are fantastic, you know, you get really attentive audiences, but, but generally speaking, I'm, I'm pretty used to playing in, uh, in spots where people are having a chat or, uh, you know, more, more paying more attention to something right, else. Right. So, yeah, I guess when I think Australia, I think like wild rock, like ACDC or something. <laughs> yeah, well, we had this. The, there was there was a really golden era in Australian music, and um, I guess a lot of people would say everywhere. Um, but there was a really strong um, 
local music industry here in the 70s and 80s. There's a lot of fantastic bands here in the 80s as well. Hmm. Uh, at the moment, there are, there's actually a lot of discussion among you know musicians, uh, particularly aging musicians like myself, I guess, uh, talking about uh, you know why why do we have this? Um, like the the main focus here now seems to be on covers and you know concept, tri tribute bands. Yeah, tributes and covers. And uh, whereas you know there's very 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 limited outlets really for original music, which mm. um, I don't know if it's just a sign of the times and you know the the sort of the the older generations who were really into music kind of wanting more nostalgia yeah no we have that up here in new england as yeah. well yeah the led zeppelin cover band or the i don't mm. know how many mm. different beatles bands come through town <laughs> all right yeah that sounds very familiar yeah but um at the same time i imagine especially with the kind of music you make you're able to reach an international audience um yeah it's something really that i'm I've been thinking a lot more about in the last year. It's um, yeah, I really see the uh, I see the possibilities of um, getting music out there, and and with instrumental music, it's really it's it's sort of wide open. You know, there's there's there are no boundaries in terms of language, and yeah, I've kind of come to the realization that I'm while I'm happy doing what I'm doing right now, maybe in ten years' time, I'd, I'd rather be playing less and mm. sort of just having more music out there in the world <laughs> right right rather than it being a uh, you know smaller local experience yeah <laughs> sitting in front of the fire with a glass of wine in my hand yeah yeah watching the winds roll in um <laughs> uh, not no i've i mean um i've, I've got a i guess being out and one of the great things about being out and playing in public places a lot is that you meet a lot of people from all over the world. Uh, they might grab a CD or grab a card, and yeah. then they sort of, you know, a percentage of those people become repeat listeners and repeat customers. Right. They, yeah, they remember you. So I, I guess I've been doing what a lot of people are now using the internet for, but I've been, I've been doing it in person for, for about a decade where you, you sort of, um, you're putting your stuff out there and you know there's there's a percentage of the people who hear you who, who really go for what you do and then they yeah. come back <laughs> so uh, th this is what we're all trying to do online these days <laughs> yep you cast a wide net <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um so you are either in or near adelaide in australia yeah 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 very very close we're, i'm just out in the suburbs but, and so yeah. that's a pretty major city in Australia, so I, you mentioned um, uh, it's, a fair amount of tourists. I think it's not quite as big, you know, on the tourism map as the as the cities on the east coast. But it's um, it's you know we're about one point two million people. Um, it's a great wine region, mm. and um, right at the moment we've actually got the Adelaide uh, Fringe Festival on, which is the second largest open access. Um, arts festival in the world after Edinburgh. Wow. Um, so we do get a lot of international, at times, at certain times of the year, we do get a lot of international visitors. And um, yeah, it's, it's not, a, it's, it's a quiet place at certain times of the year, but 
you know, I'm, I'm, I've sort of done the big city thing. I don't really right. want to go back there. <laughs> it's a young yeah. man's game in some ways. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. The 45 minute flight to Melbourne as well. Melbourne's kind of the, the, the most, probably the most happening city in the country. And uh, we're very close by plane. So yeah, it's easy to get there. Nice. So it sounds like you don't have too much of the hassle and the expenses of the major cities, but you're still definitely uh, in a in a scene of sorts. You're not somewhere that's too remote. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a it's a big. I mean, it's a big enough uh, market in Adelaide to to make a living as a musician, but um, not too big um, to where you get lost in the sea of people. Yeah. But I still see, you know, I still think um, because it's a, a very changing world now, I, I see, you know, I think more and more of us are going to go looking for the, the audiences that are out there, um, you know, the, the billion plus people <laughs> yeah. who spend most of their time taking in music on uh, phones and computers. And <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I, I have another friend who plays music that kind of sounds similar to yours um like it's entirely instrumental um uh-huh. and it's very kind of melody driven it's not a chapman stick he plays like a guitar that's on its side and he kind of taps on it i forget what the, the okay, terminology yeah. was but he's telling me he does the best streaming he gets is like in southeast asian countries yeah this sort of yeah. music is really in demand over there now yeah it's um it's quite interesting like like i've i've been um concentrating quite heavily on on it, it's i mean it's a slow process but my you know building up the the streaming um numbers and it's interesting to to look at where people are getting into your stuff and where they're listening to it um i have uh, um there's a lady who put four or five of my tracks on her spotify uh relaxation meditation playlist Um, and that's kind of and she's in south america somewhere i'm not exactly sure where but uh it seems to have driven numbers up in that part of the world um i have a friend here in australia actually who's a who's an acoustic guitarist who's done extremely well from the from the streaming thing he he's put about two or three years into very serious advertising and yeah. kind of driving all of his traffic to Spotify and um, looking at his, um, the interest he gets, it's, um, there's, there's a lot of um, streaming happening in Singapore and Taiwan and um, yeah, places like that. So uh, it's interesting. Yeah. There's, there's, I guess there are audiences everywhere out there, but it's just getting to them. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It is such a different musical landscape, I imagine, than what you were seeing in LA in the nineties, such a, a transformation, something, a new model to, to get used to. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> so when, um, people enjoy your music, when they listen to your albums, what do you, uh, in what setting do you imagine they listen? Like, do you often, uh, emphasize it as relaxation music or, you don't really th- think of things in those terms. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I guess. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm as a listener. I, I don't. For, for me personally, I'm not. I'm not someone who puts on music specifically to, you know, I'm going to relax. I'm going to put this on, or 
I'm going to read a book or I'm going to do some gardening or whatever right. or, or driving. I, I, I tend to um, just, it's just if I feel like listening to something. <laughs> um, I do get a lot of feedback that people find it relaxing or, you know, they, they'll have it on uh, when they have friends over for dinner. Um, I, I think the, the levels of listening vary a lot. So it ranges from very light, the, the background music thing, to... Uh, there's 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 one guy in in Germany who bought mm-hmm. a CD from me in uh, 2012, and about six months later, I got a a, a letter from him, um, you know, with this very very um, how should I say? I guess he was in a very bad place when he bought the CD, and um, he kind of poured his heart out, and he's he's he pretty much told me that you know the the music help save his life <laughs> wow um and you know you get those occasionally where, where you really where people have just for, for some reason it's the right thing at the right time yeah. and um they've sort of immersed themselves in it and probably way more than i ever intended or did myself yeah it's just uh it's just it meant something to them or means something to them at the time and um so I mean that kind of feedback doesn't happen terribly often, but when you do get it, it kind of um, it's it's just it hugely validates absolutely <laughs> what you're doing in some ways. Yeah, I've I've gotten one or two of those kinds of uh, messages before, and it really just does take you aback. Like it kind of reminds you kind of what you're doing in the first place, because you can kind of just get so used to the whole process and maybe get even get kind of jaded or something and then yeah it's kind of like Absolutely. a wake up call yeah it's i mean it's very easy people say oh that's nice and you you sort of you you the the compliments kind of bounce off you <laughs> um and but but when you get um someone who's really you know it's really meant something to and um it's it also changes your perception on um i guess Sometimes we, you know, as musicians, we tend to do things on autopilot a bit. And yeah. yeah, I think it's there's a really important thing that when when you're getting things right, you can sort of step away from yourself and be the listener or be the person on the the receiving end of the music and and put yourself in that space. And I think that's really important. It doesn't doesn't happen all the time. And you know, on on every one of my recordings, I'll go back and think, you know, I got it right there, and I got it not so right something else you want to fix yeah it's yeah it's not so much fixing or you know the playing or anything like that it's more um you know what you were sort of trying to convey with with an album or with a song and um sometimes you just you see those little signs of oh that was my that was my ego or my laziness or whatever (laughs) getting in the way yeah yeah of, of what the original process was, yeah. Uh, but I think we get better at it as we go, so that's positive. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully always moving in the in the right direction. So if there's anyone listening to this who is uh, interested in playing music, performing music as they're living, uh, what advice would you offer them? What first comes to mind? Um, I, I think it's really just, you just, like one of my favorite quotes is is just do it the nike quote the nike swoosh quote yeah 
<laughs> it's a great place to start. I don't wear their gear, but um, yeah, just um, it's it's kind of like the thing when 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 people interview authors and they say, "How do you write a book?" You know, "How do you actually write a book?" And and the one answer I hear hear all the time is, "You just have to write." Like you, you put a you know, in the old days, it used to be stick a page in the typewriter and type a page every day. Yeah. And um, and I think that's I think a lot of people are are held back by well, there's one thing I see in a lot of musicians, some of the most talented or or you know most amazing musicians I've known personally uh, have taken twenty years to release an album because they they just want everything to be right. Uh, um, perfectionism. Yeah, it's yeah, the, the perfectionist thing, and um, that really just holds a lot of people back. I, I think for me, it's been a, a, the the thing has been to just finish one and then you move on to the next thing. And I'm quite happy for my stuff on the recordings to be the beginning rather than the the, the end of something. Yeah. So uh, when I perform now, I play quite a few of my older pieces, but they. They sound nothing like they did on the album. So oh, they evolve that's, that's over part time. of the process is that they just they keep growing, I keep improvising, and they, they turn into other things as I go. Hmm. Um, the other thing is I think, you know, in general there's you know, the, a lot of people are obviously worried about finances and you know, we we all have this, you know, we've got to pay bills and how do you how do you balance that with being a creative person and it's it's very difficult like that that those five or six years when i got out of music i i de I, initially I, I was thinking you know i can do this and i can produce music at the same time and have a balance and it i i found it very difficult to do that didn't work out that way um, no it didn't really work for me <laughs> uh, it was the thing um i think you know so i, I think that you do no, you know, nothing. No, sorry for the cliche, but nothing worth doing is risk-free. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. everything worth doing involves an element of risk, and um, you know, it's it's okay to go out and try it, and if it doesn't work, to go back and you can go and lick lick your wounds and and kind of restart again. It's uh, there's nothing nothing wrong in that. I mean, ev everything these days, people people don't stay in careers for 50 years the way they used to so right yeah i think you know you can you can i think it's really important if you if you have a creative drive it's just to go out there and and do it make something happen yeah <laughs> do as much as you can yeah and um lastly do you have uh anything in particular coming up for 2018 any new projects this year's i really want to uh put out more recorded material so i've got i've got two albums planned for this year two albums um, yeah and that's really going to be the main focus um another thing is to keep slowly but hopefully um in a positive way kind of building up numbers online as well yeah i'm not doing stuff like trying to get 200,000 likes on my Facebook page or anything like that. Um, Vanity metrics. I, yeah, I, those aren't true fans necessarily. I, it's just, yeah, exactly. So, so it's more of a slow slow process of finding people, you know, people who like what I do online and 
um, just gradually getting my stuff out there. But everything's for the last year or so has been moving in in the right direction on that. So, um, yeah. All right, Andy, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. That was Andy Salvanos. Very glad I got to chat with him. If you liked this episode of Talking About the Passion, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. If you use Spotify, you can follow the Talking About the Passion Spotify playlist to hear a big collection of tunes from artists who've been featured here in the past. The theme song for Talking About the Passion is the Niagara Moon song Eating Peaches off my 2017 album Eating Peaches. I'm going to play one more song of Andy's now. This is called Dream Recall, and I'll see you in a couple weeks.